how would you like to deal with 400 to 1 odds against you? That's pretty much uh, the situation that a prophet by the name of Elijah found himself in as he was perched atop Mount Carmel. And his goal was to seek to get the people of Israel to turn back to God and to truly worship him. But you see, they were kind of uh, enamored by this God by the name of Baal, which allowed for them to do all sorts of different things that were against the the commands of God. But um, they thought that it was an act of worship and different things like that. So he stood atop Mount Carmel and challenged these 400 prophets to a contest. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 22 through 25, we read that Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Excuse me, 450. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut cut it into pieces and put it on the wood but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put, uh, put it on the wood but not set fire to it. Then... You call on the name of the Lord your God, or of of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, that's a good contest, actually, what they said. What you say is good. And you can read the rest of the story in 1 Kings chapter chapter 18, but I want to give you a spoiler alert. The odds seem to be against this lone prophet. But God proved everybody else wrong. And he demonstrated his own power, and he did so in a very, very convincing way. And he also demonstrated the powerlessness of this false God that was being worshipped by these 450 prophets. And the people cried out, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And for a moment, they truly, truly believed But here's the sad part of the story. Because if you read through the history of Israel and you follow along with what happens, nobody really stuck it out when it came to God. They ended up going their own way and eventually the nation was totally destroyed. You can find their story in the the books of Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament. And it's not a pretty one. Last week, we started out the year by talking about a but God kind of God. One who does amazing and incredible things through us and sometimes in spite of our own efforts. Who is indescribable, who is uncontainable, who is all-powerful. And he is able to do the impossible because, as Jesus said, nothing is impossible to God. But the people through whom God will work most effectively are going to be those who choose a but God kind of life. A couple of weeks ago, many of us probably made some resolutions. Anybody make a resolution to lose some weight? Anybody make a resolution to get more physically fit? Or maybe to de-stress a little bit? 
can remove some of the stressors you face. Maybe uh, get out of debt or handle your finances better. Can I get an amen to all this kind of stuff? Are you guys on there? But if we believe in a but God kind of God, here's the thing. What should our lives really look like? How should he impact our behavior? How should he impact our lives? What things should be visible in who we are and what we do? And over the next few weeks, we want to try to answer that. We want to look at some things that God values in people who will say, I I can't do it on my own, but I believe in a God that is far greater than anything that I may ever face. And the first thing, first two things that we want to look at today are boldness and holiness. Those sound like Bible terms, don't they? Yeah, they are. But they are also something that is very, very essential for every single one of us. Let's look at boldness first. And I want to encourage you to turn to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 3 and 4. And I'm going to give you a synopsis of all that takes place there because Peter and John are two apostles who, after the church has started, they go to the temple to pray. And they come up to a guy who's a professional beggar because that's all he can do because he is lame. He cannot walk. And he's sitting there at the temple doors uh, asking for alms. And Peter and John look at him and says, I, 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 I don't have any money to give you. But here's what I do have to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man stood up immediately and started walking, but he wasn't just walking. He was leaping. He was praising God, and he was jumping up and down. And all of a sudden, all the people who had seen him over and over and over again in the temple, they were looking and saying, what what, what just happened? This man was lame. Now he's walking. And Peter and John turned around and told the others about Jesus. Jesus, who had done this healing. Jesus, who had done this miracle. Jesus, who had done all sorts of different things. And boldness simply means what these guys did. They weren't trying to be pushy or anything. They were simply telling about Jesus. They were being so sold on something or someone that they would not stop at talking about him and doing all things that would honor him in order to advance him, even if it meant persecution. You see, folks, parents, we are called to be bold when we are talking to their children about God. Not say, oh, they can make their own decision. They're seeking your guidance. So be bold in telling them about the Lord. Students, you are called to be bold when opportunities take place to to relate God to others in your schools. Workers, you're called to be bold for the Lord when you face conversations with others. And I realize that in school, as well as in, in, in the workplace, a lot of times there are restrictions for that. But you can very kindly talk to people and you can say, you know, you raise some very interesting questions. And we have restrictions here and we can't necessarily meet in this place and talk about it openly. 
but I can talk to you later. How about if we have lunch together? How about if we end up uh, meeting after work for star- at Starbucks or Panera's and start talking? And don't be apologetic about it. You see, folks, we are called to be bold in our sharing. Because that's what Peter and John did in that story. And they were arrested because they dared to say that Jesus was the one who had healed this man. And the authorities got together and they were kind of flustered. and, Why are you doing this? What are you doing? And Peter and John just stood before these guys, these people with power, these people with authority. And they said very boldly in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that salvation is found in no one else, referring to Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And these powerful men, these authorities, looked upon these unschooled, untrained men, and the next verse says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Folks, please, please listen to me. When you spend time with the Lord, it shows. It shows in your expression. It shows in your responses to people. It even affects your confidence. You may struggle with insecurity, but God can give you boldness. I know that many in this room have decided to engage in the Through the Bible reading program which will introduce back on December 31st, just in preparation for 2018. I want to commend you for doing that. And I want to encourage those who have not yet engaged in it to do so. But I also want to challenge you beyond that. And here's what I'd like for you to consider doing. Before you read that passage of Scripture that you're assigned or those selected passages, would you take the time to just simply bow your head in prayer and say, Lord, I really want to hear what you have to say to me today. I really want to understand what it is that you're telling me. Ask him that question. Make that request before him because he is a but God kind of guy who can really intervene in our lives. And sometimes, if you're like me, you'll look at a passage of Scripture and say, well, what in the world was that all about? And yet I have found whenever I have, I've dealt with that, or how does that relate to my life? I have found whenever I have dealt with that, that God is simply tilling the soil of my heart so that I'll get with it later on and something will click with a situation that I'll face a few weeks later or even a few days later. But then there are some passages of Scripture that I read after I have prayed that, that just kind of hit me in the face like a two-by-four. That's why I'm so ugly, you know, because I get hit in the face by, with a two-by-four when, whenever, I, whenever I spend time with God. And you may find yourself thinking, wow, I didn't know the Bible said that. And you become so excited about what it is that you just discovered that you go to someplace else and you run into somebody and they may be even been a stranger and say, you know what I just found? You know what I just discovered? And you're so excited. And that is boldness, friends. That is real boldness that God 
does and brings to our lives. Overcoming fears and inviting a friend to church or small group. That's boldness. But we not only need to practice boldness in our sharing, we also need to practice some boldness in our prayers. And that's found in Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 23 and on through verse 31. Because when John and Peter were dismissed by the authorities, and they were threatened, don't you ever talk about Jesus anymore. When they, ran through, when they went through that, they ended up meeting with church members. They ended up meeting with their family, with, their, with the people that they were connected with as far as the church was concerned. And they got together and they told them blow by blow what had happened. They told about the miracle. They told about the arrest. They told about the hearing in front of the authorities. And they told about the threats that they had received because of Jesus. And they also told them about how many people had surrendered their lives to Jesus and followed him. And then they prayed. And they prayed that God would give them boldness. See, I read this passage of Scripture, and and I'm ashamed of my prayers. Because a lot of times I find myself thinking, Lord, please be with so-and-so. Lord, please do this. Lord, Lord, I want this. That's the kind of prayer that we often have. But I look at this passage of Scripture, and I find myself dealing with the reality that I haven't really learned to pray when that's all I do. Look at verses 29 through 30. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And they prayed that prayer, and the place in which they were meeting was literally shaken by the Holy Spirit of God. And too often we get caught up in the whole idea of signs and wonders, and we think, man, if we could do that, if we experienced that right now, then people would really listen to us and follow the Lord. And they might. But there were a lot of people that rejected it as well. You see, I find also that God ends up working through the ordinary, through a kind word, a key response, a willingness to stand for Jesus when no one else will, a loving and sacrificial act that melts the hardest of hearts, a tear of compassion and love, a Bible passage that speaks to a present need or a present crisis. You see, God is a but God kind of God. And he can take the ordinary and make something extraordinary out of it. But I want you to notice what it is that they asked for in their prayer. These folks didn't ask for protection. They didn't huddle in fear and say, oh no, we're getting picked on. Instead, they pray for boldness to speak, boldness to live, boldness to love, boldness to share. And all the while, they were not pushing and overbearing. They simply were willing to do whatever it took to share Jesus when the opportunity presented itself. And that's what bold is. That's who God calls us to be for Him. 
We can't do it on our own. But God can and will. As we ask him, as we seek him, and as we follow him. Gary Black is a minister who often goes around and uh, meets with other ministers on retreats or at conferences and different things like that. And he holds some seminars and he talks to them. And as he concludes his talks, one of the things that he says to them is, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine that you have already breathed your last on this earth and now you are in heaven before the Lord. I want you to imagine that you're having a personal conversation with him as ministers. And God says to you, I want you to know what the secret of your success is. Or has been. And the guys kind of perk up and they want to pay attention. And they listen very, very carefully. And they're really excited to find out. He said, I've got a door over here, and one of my angels is going to open it in just a minute. And behind that door, you're going to find the secret to your success in ministry. Well, then now they're really paying attention. And instead of paying attention to God, they're paying attention to the door. And they get closer and closer, as close as they can without being rude or anything like that. And so they get up there, and the the door is opened. And inside that door... Is they see an unknown saint, a godly grandmother, or someone with a humble, quiet spirit who is kneeling and praying to the Lord, interceding for his church, interceding for her leaders and those who don't know Jesus. And Gary Black concludes his talk by saying, prayer is the yarn that moves the hand of God. Bold prayer. Prayer that really makes a difference. But a but, but God lifestyle doesn't just call us to be bold, it also calls us to holiness. In his book, Replenish, Lance Witt talks that all of us, particularly those of us in ministry, have what we call a front stage life and a backstage life. The front stage life is what you see in public and what you see up front, like what's going on right now. But the backstage life is what goes on when no one's looking. And a lot of times, ministers' lives, but also your lives and mine, end up imploding, literally just blowing up because the front stage life and the backstage life do not correspond. They're not the same. So much of life as we know it in the 21st century focuses on appearances, doesn't it? The front stage of our lives. But Christianity focuses on the fact that what happens in the front, on, on, in, uh, front stage, center stage, is the result of what takes place backstage. What you do is the result of who you are becoming. And it begins within and it flows without. Now let's talk about holiness and what it means. And, by, and I want to start out by saying what holiness is not. Holiness is not looking down at others and considering yourself as being better than they are. 
Because that's the idea that many get when they consider the, the, the term holiness. Some of you have probably started to turn me off because you don't like that word. But I want to give you the biblical definition of what holiness is. And holiness literally means to be set apart for something. Holiness is a vital aspect of having a but God kind of God in our lives. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the cross, because because of the empty tomb, we are able to live lives that are fully devoted or set aside for God and his purposes. And we've been set apart to honor him. And that begins here. It begins within. And as our backstage lives flow from a living relationship with Jesus and continue to develop that relationship, that relationship then overflows in our front stage lives. I think that's one of the things that Peter had in mind in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he said, Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you, you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. And so let's look at being holy and having holiness within us. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things below. It's having the mindset of Jesus, of being able to see things as he sees them and align our attitudes and our behaviors and our beliefs with his. And folks, I'm, I, I'm here to tell you that no one, no, no one of us has arrived. It's a lifetime journey, and it's filled with struggles. Sometimes those struggles are terrible. But I'm here to tell you, it is oh so worth it. Our elders right now are going through a book that is tailored specifically toward church leaders. It speaks to this issue of within. And one of the main questions that this book seems to ask is, Are you aligning your heart with the heart of Jesus? And I have to tell you, since we started this, we've had some of the most enjoyable elder meetings that you could imagine. And it's been fun. It's been challenging. It's been life-changing. And I've heard the comment over and over again, man, that was really good. I really needed to hear that. I really needed to read that and consider it for my own life. Folks, we have a great group of elders. And if you don't know that yet, please come and talk to me. I will brag about every single one of them. They are godly men. They are seeking after the Lord. But they are becoming better elders and better leaders as a result of this kind of discussion and this kind of study. And I believe that the main reason for that 
is that we are challenging one another, first of all, to cultivate a holiness within so that then we can lead the church to where God wants it to be. But holiness is not just an introspective exercise that we perform. It's not just something that we think. It has to find expression. And so along with developing a holiness within, we also need to understand that we're called to live holy lives in everyday life. And here's the reality that we face as Christians a lot of times, folks. We have tried so hard to relate to people in our culture that we have embraced their behaviors. And the result is that instead of us influencing them, they have influenced us. And far too many of us think and act as people who don't know Jesus when the Bible says that our behavior should be distinctive. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And I just want to ask some questions. Because there were questions that I'm asking myself as I have written them down, as I've prayed over them, as I've studied them. Are we focused on things that honor the Lord? Are you grieved by what grieves Him? Do you laugh at crude comedy that is so common on TV? Do you ache when people are degraded? Do you value marriage the way God does? Guys, do you love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave his life for her in order to present her as a fully adorned bride that is as beautiful as she can be? Most of you know that on a wedding day, a bride is as, makes herself as perfect as she can be. And our job as husbands is to make our brides as perfect as they can be, as beautiful as they can be. Do you do that? Do you build into your wives? And ladies, do you, do you follow that kind of leadership when it's modeled? Do you draw the line in your life to certain behaviors that are commonly acceptable in our culture? Are, are we generous with our resources? Do we use what we have to bless others instead of spending everything that we make on our hobbies, our interests, our dreams, and our vacations? And when people hear you speak to them and spend time with them, do they walk away encouraged and just really blessed by the opportunity to have spent those moments with you? Or do they react to your biting words or sour disposition? You see, the more we reflect on Jesus and the more we allow for his thoughts to be our thoughts and his mind ours and his actions, the one that we carry out in relationship to others, the more we become amazed at what God has done and is doing in us. But the more we resemble Jesus, the more we want to be in his presence, in the presence of our Father and our God. Because that's where the power lies. That's where the transformation takes place. That's where the excitement is. And that excitement spills out in the other areas of life. You see... 
When we don't know Jesus, it's just like in the Old Testament times. In the Old Testament times, there was a big temple. And there was one small area called the Holy of Holies that was supposed to uh, house the presence of God. It was so holy that nobody could go there except one man once a year. And that was the high priest. And just to make sure that this guy wasn't unworthy, the people would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he fell dead inside of that place, they would be able to pull, drag him out so that they wouldn't have to go in. But God was distant. He was, in many ways, inaccessible. And then you read about the crucifixion, the death and burial resurrection of Jesus. And as Jesus breathed his last, the Bible says that the veil of the temple, that is, what separated that holy of holy place from everybody else, was ripped in two, signifying that you and I can have access to God. And Jesus made that possible. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had some FaceTime interactions with our our family, uh, two sons, two daughters-in-law, and seven grandchildren. And during those FaceTime things, it's been funny because as my sons have been sitting on the couches trying to talk to us a little bit and tell us what's going on and what have you, there have been little three-year-olds and four-year-olds just crawling all over them and sitting on their heads and crawling up and sitting on their, on their shoulders and messing with their hair or rubbing their bald head, as is the case with one. And, they, you know, they were just all over the place. And you know why they do that? They know that their dad loves them. They know that their dads really love them. Now, dads can also provide some very severe discipline when it's needed. But they trust and they respect their dad. And they can't get enough of him. And I just love those scenes. I love those moments. And Nate will do, you know, something like that because... <laughs> He's getting hit in the nose or whatever the case may be. Folks, that is a but God lifestyle. That's a holy boldness that the kids model. Because they know that they can come to their dads at any time. And we can come to God at any time through what it is that he has done in Jesus Christ. Not out of fear, but out of love. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Folks, do you want to approach God so that you can live a bold life? 
You want his holiness to fill you so that people can see Jesus in you? I want to tell you where it begins. It begins at the cross. And it can be yours right now. Right here. Because of him. Father, we come to you in the name of Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, our soon coming King. And we rejoice in who it is that you are and what it is that you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to live boldly. Sold out to a cause that is just beyond our imagination and that can make the difference in this world. Not political processes. Not allegiances to one party or another, but allegiance only to you. Through what it is that you have done through us in Christ. Lord, thank you for being a but God kind of God. A God who specializes in impossible things. And you're able to take our lives, messed up as they are, and make them into something powerful. Make them into something significant. Make them into something meaningful. And there may be those that are struggling with those questions right now. And I just pray that in this time as we sing, that decisions will be made, that opportunities will be presented, that there will be a trust in Jesus and a surrender to him and him alone. I pray in Jesus' name.